When Carol and I were newlyweds, we were in an apartment complex where we met another believing couple in the same stage of life, newlyweds as well. We ended up becoming great friends and even vacation together at places like Sequoia and Kings Canyon and the like. When we moved away, we kept in contact with each other and shared about our children as they were being born and growing. And they shared with us a prayer request that was shocking to us. I'd never even heard of it before. Uh, that their little baby was one, then two, and was not growing. So the days were passing, and the child was getting older, but the child was not growing. We didn't even have an expression for that at that time. Eventually, we came to understand it was considered failure to thrive, uh, but it was, it was horrifying at the thought to have a, a child uh, that could not and would not grow. In the same way, when we look at ourselves spiritually, uh, we should have similar kind of concern, if not even horror, at the thought that we may be progressing in number of days that we have known the Lord, but not progressing in growing towards maturity in Christ. Uh, we should say to ourselves, I want to grow, and as an assembly as a whole, we would want to see ourselves growing and maturing. We do this by the ministry of the Spirit within us as we corporately, as a body, minister to each other, exercising the ministry of the Spirit through us for the building up of each other in Christ-likeness. We call these spiritual gifts, gifts in which God has ministered through us to each other to cause the growth of the body in love. I'm reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, a passage that describes the unity that we have in Christ in spite of how we seem so different from each other. The early church and the current church is made up, first of all, in difference, male and female. Uh, secondly, young and old. Uh, thirdly, different backgrounds, such as uh, where we were born, where we grew up, uh, what our families were like, uh, even different languages that we may speak, cultural differences among us. And yet he says these are not to be things that make us less likely to get along, but actually complement each other. He's designed it this way so that we would sing in harmony the way in which God has ministered to us. I'm reading from Ephesians 4.1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. 
Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You'll notice that in this context, he's asking that all members of the body of Christ walk in a manner that preserves the unity of the faith, that all of us would grow to maturity in Christ so that we will be stable as a body of believers, growing in union together with Christ as our head. The context, going back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3, is the fact that the church is made up of people who are so different from each other. At this point, they're struggling with the amalgamation of Jews and Gentiles in one body. And so he reveals to them that though Jews and Gentiles seem so completely different and impossible to relate well to each other and to work together in the body of Christ, that God's plan is actually to make the body diverse on purpose. Because our differences are meant to play out different roles within the body. By God's power, stimulated by each believer using the gifting of the Spirit and the empowerment of the Spirit flowing through us, we cause the building up of the body in love. I was referring to our friend's child that would not thrive, would not grow. You'd say, well, what can I do? And as we were talking on the phone, because we lived far apart at this point, we're wondering, isn't there anything that can be done? And the answer in this passage regarding the growth of ourselves individually and the growth of the body as a whole and this local representation here in Claremont is we are to follow the leadership as they help us individually grow and we then learning about our spiritual gifts from our leaders exercise these gifts to stimulate one another towards growth, causing the growth of the body of its, as a whole in love in finding success and bringing glory to God. Paul is in prison when he writes this to the Ephesians, and he's asking them, don't you do anything to harm 
the unity of the body. Physicians will take an oath that first and foremost, they will cause no harm. And so he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Walk in unity. Walk in holiness. God has called you not only to salvation with forgiveness of sins, we're very grateful for that, but he's also called you to a place in the body. And many of us don't think much about that. What is my particular place in the body? He's saying, as he has called us, we're to walk, it's our lifestyle, the series of choices and actions that we're doing, walk according to his plan for us. Play your part. You were sung in a choir, and a section of the song that uh, the choir is singing is difficult for you, and you just mouth the words because you can't sing that part. You, say, you, you sometimes even forget the words, and you just mouth watermelon over and over and over again and hope that no one can tell that you're not singing along. If we do that in the body of Christ where we say, like, oh, I know I'm here, but I'm not participating, the body is going to find itself difficult to grow. So we have to participate by making life choices that prioritizes our contribution to the body according to the calling that God has given us. He describes here how we would maintain this unity that he has placed within us. He says, with all humility, that means we will engender unity through each of us being humble, With gentleness, sometimes translated meekness, it means not weakness, but being gently kind in the way in which you minister your gift to others. If you think of Christ, he was very angry at the right times and never angry at the wrong times. If you think of Your favorite dog at home, for example. You want that dog to be gentle, not rough. You want the dog to be kind and quiet at all the right times. You want that dog to be brave and vicious and angry at exactly the right times if you're asking it to guard you in your home. Gentleness is strength under control. So with humility, gentleness, patience, willing to wait, willing to hold back, willing to be long-suffering, letting others go first, showing tolerance for each other, acceptance, forbearing the differences that we have among each other. If, If we just let little things irritate us, if we let the concept that just people are so different from us, how can I possibly get along with people that are different from us? We have missed the whole point of how God is In the Trinity, every aspect of unity and diversity is coming from God as triune, one God and three persons. And you would think that just the fact that he's made us male and female would give us a huge clue. We can't even continue the human race unless a male and female come together in a loving home as parents nurturing the child that is born as a mixture of the two of them, and yet husband and wife are so different from each other. If we can begin to see that God has made our differences on purpose to actually bless us harmoniously 
in causing the growth of the body in love, then we will be showing tolerance to each other. In love we do this. Uh, we won't be resentful. It's the manner in which we exhibit this accepting nature to each other. Be diligent with zealous effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has made us one in the way in which he has designed us. And now it's our job not to ruin it. We keep what we already possess. We don't lose it or destroy it. The unity is coming by the fact that I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So as we cooperate with the leading of the Spirit, we will bless each other, not harm each other. Listen to these seven elements of the unity that we have in Christ. There is one body, the body of Christ, the universal church. There is one spirit. We're all having access to the Father in the same way, through the same spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, we all have the same destiny of ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom and enjoying him forever. We have one Lord. Regardless of where we're from, regardless of how we originally heard the gospel, we have all been saved the same way by Jesus Christ providing the means by which the Father could forgive us by taking our sins upon himself. And now he is head of this church and we are all following him as our leader. One Lord, one faith. We exercise all this in the same person. One baptism, we've all been identified with the same person, Jesus Christ. One God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. He is the supreme King of heaven and earth. This is his plan for us. And dwelt by the Spirit as he resides in us, we make him the center of our lives, and we accept his sovereign gift the way he's given it. And we exercise that gift in the body of Christ. In verse 7, it begins the description of the sovereign giving of gifts, and it uses the concept of a conquering victor who uh, was able to rescue or redeem or liberate uh, captured people and bring them back home again. Verse 7 says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. These gifts are actually an empowerment, a grace gift from God given to every single believer that is not causing us to act uniformly where we're all singing the treble part, the soprano part. We are singing different parts with different gifts, harmoniously coming together to serve the Lord in the way in which he's designed us. He's the one that has chosen the gift I get, or the gifts perhaps, the same in your case. There's not allowed to be any jealousy, even though some gifts appear to be a little bit more showy than the others. They're all as necessary as the others. Each is of equal value. And the value comes from how it builds up the body in Christ. He loosely summarizes Psalm 68:18 when he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So Christ has liberated us 
from sin. As the victor, he has the right to give gifts to the church. Through his death and burial in the grave, then ascension to the Father, he imparts his blessings to the church, and these blessings are giftedness, unique to us in the way in which he ministers through us to build up the body in Christ. In this case, he's not speaking of offices, he's speaking of gifted people given to the church. Uh, There's no concept here of clergy and then laity. In this concept, we are all equal in the way in which he has given each of us a gift that we play. The first two are foundational, described as those who helped put the church first in action before the canon of scripture was collected and made complete. And there are four places in the scripture that list the gifts. This one is fairly short and just mentions those who in leadership who are helping us be equipped to exercise our own gifts. He said he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. The apostles were authoritative delegates for Christ who were sent with a gospel message. Their ministry was edification and exhortation and comfort. Prophets actually spoke directly from God, divine revelation of mysteries given to the church. Again, their ministry was edification, exhortation, and comfort. They founded the church in the first century. Evangelists, they preach the gospel, they found churches, they go out as missionaries cross-culturally planting new churches. And in the fourth clause, he says, and some as pastors and teachers, a singular article distributed across two nouns indicating that all of these pastors also have the gift of teaching. A pastor is a shepherd, is a leader, is a feeder of the flock, one who cares for the flock, who's also gifted as a teacher. It's also possible to have the gift of teaching without having the gift of pastor. Again, I point out these are gifts, not offices. These are given across the body of Christ. And he's asking those with these gifts of pastor teacher to shepherd, to lead, to minister, to exhort, to comfort, to edify, to teach, to administrate. And these pastor teachers are carrying on much of the same ministry that the apostles and prophets did in the first century without being witnesses of Jesus Christ's resurrection or being these foundation stones of the original church. But it's necessary that we look to these leaders among us to help us know our gift, exercise our gift, and using this analogy that I'm using, singing in harmony, learning to play our part in the body. Notice that the gifted people here are gifted for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. This means we just don't hire things done. We're the ones who do it. The more we've become specialized in a very technological age, the more we say, well, I don't have to do that. Someone else can do that for me. I can remember my dad taught me to change the tire of a car. Back then, it seems like tires blew more often, but you hardly ever get an opportunity to teach your kids to change a tire anymore because the tires seem to last so well. But my kids buy old cars and their tires do fail and I do 
suddenly wake up at midnight to go rescue them and, and teach them how to change a tire and go, no, you got the lug nuts on actually backwards. <laughs> Let, let's redo this a little bit. We need help learning how to exercise gifts, and we therefore are looking to all play a part, receiving from leadership and from other more mature believers an equipping of every single one of us to give our gift to the church, a different ministry than perhaps the person next to us. They will perfect us, they will equip us, they will enable us to carry out the work of service. We don't hire it done, we do the work ourselves. And notice these gifts are not for self-edification, they're not just to bless us. We don't exercise our gift so I feel fulfilled. I exercise my gift so that I stimulate the building up of the body in love. The goal then is that the body itself, we corporately as a church, in this local expression here in Claremont, would grow up in all aspects unto him who is our head. That we as a body would mature. When I was young, I was sensitive about two things. I was short. And I had big ears that stuck out. I complained about my ears. I even asked, could I have surgery to have these pinned back somehow? My dad said, I had the same problem growing up. He says, they used to tease me saying I was a Model T Ford with the doors open. <laughs> and, and I would say, I want to be taller. I don't want these funny Dumbo ears. I don't like who I am in a sense. And I felt as if people were teasing me for the wrong reasons. We had a doorpost just out of our, outside of our kitchen where we'd mark our growth. And I was the sixth of seven children, so I could see my brothers before me, how tall they were at a certain age. And I would measure myself against them, always realizing I was short. Just like I was concerned about growing up, and now I'm not worried about my ears or my stature. It doesn't make any difference to me any longer. But I was sensitive when I was young. In the same way, we need to see the body as a whole grow towards maturity. Just as you want your child to stop slouching and to stand up tall and have good posture and to grow up into a mature, contributing measure, member of society as a good citizen, shouldn't you also want them to grow up in a manner that they build up the body of Christ. He says the goal is that we would all attain to the unity of the faith. I don't know if you've noticed what he's just said here, is that part of the reason why we are disunified as Christians is that we aren't exercising our spiritual gifts. And that if we listen to our leaders as they help us discover and then exercise our gifts, just the fact that we are ministering our gifts among the body causes the growth of the body in love. So you just think of yourself, what if I ate poorly and never exercised? What would happen to me? Well, we'd kill ourselves. We would die young. We would die of effects of 
blood, high blood pressure or diabetes or obesity. There'd be something, uh, lack of activity, that would just completely ruin us. And so most of us say to ourselves, I've got to be careful to eat in a healthy manner, and I've got to make sure I exercise. I've got to make sure I take care of myself. If I have a problem, I'll see a doctor, and I will make sure I address this. In the same way, we should be super careful about how we're functioning as a body of believers. And our leaders see things among us that they then exhort us to let them help correct and we cooperate with them in correcting those things. The goal is that we will all attain to the unity of the faith. We will all be unified as believers. We're not allowed to shoot our wounded. We're not allowed to leave people behind. We're not allowed to say, well, they sit in the back. I never even noticed them. We're not allowed to say, well, they only come occasionally. We don't see them very often. We're not allowed to say, but I don't like him, or he's not easy to get along with. I barely tolerate him. We're not allowed to push people away. We must encompass people and bring them together as a fully functioning body. In other places, Paul describes the body as parts like eyes and ears and mouth, hands, feet. What would we be like without eyes? Or what would we be like without a mouth? We need every gift exercised. If you need the gift of mercy, compassion, help, Who's going to give that to you except a person who is skilled and gifted in that way? Who's gained the ability to exercise that gift because someone has helped them discover it and mature in that? Until we all attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. We want unity in knowing Christ fully. We want Christ-likeness to be our goal. To a mature man or a mature person, fully grown, stable. And in context, he's speaking about not like children who are gullible and unstable. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Christ is mature. Christ is of full height. We need to grow collectively to where we measure up to Christ-likeness. And we could see that this is a God-fearing church, a church that loves Jesus Christ, the church that serves Jesus Christ, a church that serves and ministers to each other as we're all growing towards Christ-likeness. Many of us work with children, and many of us realize how easy it is to lead children astray, to confuse them, to influence them in the wrong manner. And he's saying, you start out as children in the faith, and you need to grow up towards maturity. We're not to be children anymore, he says in verse 14, tossed here and there by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. When we take our kids to the beach, and we let them play in the water. We're very careful that our little kids are not tossed to and fro by the waves and drawn out by the rip current. By the way, there happen to be high waves and rip current today. We wouldn't want our kids hurt in that way. We want to make sure 
that when it comes to doctrine, the teaching of the word of God, that it's taught well so that they can understand it and they can live it out and that they are not gullible. The cults go after the gullible ones. When I moved back to Buena Park again, uh, I was on the circuit of the cults coming around and, and I would talk to them and I would actually talk to them about their beliefs and explain to them from the scriptures why what they believed was not true. Now I'm apparently marked off. They won't ring my doorbell anymore. They'll just leave me tracks on my doorstep. But we want to help people not fall for the lies of the devil, of the distortion of the gospel message by the trickery of men who suppress the truth, who in cunningness and craftiness and deceitful scheming have a, str a strategy to lure people away into doctrinal error so that they can control them and gain, in a sense, points in their system of earning their salvation. He says, instead, this is how we would grow in Christ-likeness, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. The verb to speak isn't actually there in verse 15. If you were to translate it literally, it would say something like this. Being truthful with love or proving oneself truthful with love. There's a cross-reference that actually does have the verb to speak, but why does Paul omit it here? Why is he saying truthfulness is not just something that comes out of our mouth? Truthfulness encompasses something much greater than that. It's the whole way in which we live. One of the corrections of the young people these days if used properly, actually is a good correction, and that is that they want us to be transparent. They want us to be authentic. They want us to be real. They want us to live openly, which was not part of my culture. Uh, we actually hid all of our faults. <clears throat> but I have probably 1,500 friends on social media, and I know when any of them is upset and any of them has a headache, when any of them's children are misbehaving, I know everything about all of them because they live completely transparent lives. I find it irritating. On the other hand, when we function as a body of Christ, we can't be those who try to fool each other by wearing masks. If we're going to help each other, we have to be open and honest with each other. And I think what he's saying here is we have to live our lives openly in front of each other. When we disciple young people, for example, we bring them into our homes, we bring them into our families, we involve them in our daily lives and activities, and we go through life together so they see how life is lived by mature Christians who are seeking to serve the Lord with a whole heart. We don't just talk a talk, we actually walk a walk with them. We actually open our lives to them and let them see more things about us than perhaps are even comfortable at times. But I think that's what he's saying is to how we minister to each other to grow together into Christ-likeness. 
truthing it in love. In other words, love is tempering what is sometimes the harshness of the truth you have to say. And it's funny sometimes where people say, we need to tell him such and such, and I'm not going to tell him, so you tell him. I'm thinking, oh, thanks. So I have to be the person to tell him the bad news of how he needs to be corrected. You won't say it. I won't say it. You have to say it. And I hate it when they make me the person who has to say it. But one would hope that as a group who believe the same thing, we can actually say to a person, brother, here is a need we see in your life. Can we help you with this? Can we encourage you? Can we strengthen you? Can we help you work through this? We're to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head. We're not to be flat-sided in which we say, look how successful I am in one aspect of my Christ-likeness. We want it to be consistent. We want Christ-like character in all areas. We want it to be not just head knowledge, but knowledge lived out in a loving manner. If you think of the way you rear your own kids, you don't say, I, I, I just want you to excel in one thing. Just do one thing well and I'll be happy with you. No, we're, we're constantly shaping our kids in a well-rounded sort of way. So if, if they're not being stimulated physically, we'll get them involved in physical things. If they're not being stimulated mentally, we'll get them involved in mental things. If they're not being stimulated well emotionally or socially, we'll get them involved in those kinds of things. We want them to be well-rounded in the same way as we're seeking to grow one another in Christ. We're trying to grow each other in a well-rounded way so that all aspects of our character are reflecting Christ. There shouldn't be secrets in our lives that we hide from each other. I'm surprised how often when I get into a person's home, I see much more about their lives than I could ever see just in a building where we meet. It's good to get involved in each other's lives and each other's home lives as well to be able to encourage each other to grow up in all aspects unto him who's our head. He is our leader. He's our source. He's our goal. He's our model. We're trying to be like Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Bodybuilding. We actually have that as a form of exercise or a form of healthiness in which people lift weights, for example, and they concentrate on certain aspects of their body. All five of my kids were competitive swimmers, and so you'd think like all they would ever do was swim, but no, they would run as well. And they'd say, well, why are you running? It's cross-training. They would lift weights as well every single day. And you'd say, like, why are you lifting weights? Aren't you supposed to be swimming? Well, what you're doing is you're causing certain muscle groups to grow in a certain way in order to gain strength so that you can pull yourself or kick yourself through the water faster. In the same way, we're seeking to cause the body to grow by exercising our spiritual gifts. As the whole body functions together, individual parts contributing, 
fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, the individual spiritual growth of each believer contributes to the growth of the body as a whole. And it's all the supporting connections that cause the growth of the body in love. So somehow God paired me with a wife who has the same goals in life, serve the Lord, but who's so different from me in so many ways. Now, why would he do that? Why would he pair me with a person who's different from me? So everything that I find hard, she finds easy. Things that I find easy, she finds hard. She would absolutely die. She'd faint if you made her stand behind a pulpit on a stage. And yet she can teach at a kitchen table as well as I can teach at a kitchen table. It's a different venue, but she'd be horrified to have to stand in front of people with people looking at her as a group. Regarding her emotional intelligence, her ability to read how people are feeling and reacting, she's off the charts. I'm a dunce when it comes to emotional intelligence. I've had to go to week-long seminars to try to gain any level of facility in emotional intelligence. She'd say, like, didn't you see how he reacted? And I'd say, like, no, what did you see? It's like I'm not even looking. But emotional intelligence is one of those intelligences you can actually grow in, you can actually gain skills in. And I begin to see why God has paired us together as husband and wife. Because she helps me grow in areas where I am not strong. She has a ter terrific gift of mercy and gift of helps. These are not my primary gifts. But I work with her in these areas. And she helps me grow and I become more well-rounded because of her. I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again. In the same way, God pairs us with people in the body who have different gifts than we have who then help us exercise our gifts so that we can grow in a well-rounded way. Listen to again what he says in the middle of verse 16, being fitted and held together by which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. So when each individual person plays his part, then we actually cause or stimulate the growth of the body and the building up of itself in love. So it's absolutely necessary for all believers to utilize their gifts to cause the growth of the body. When I was young, uh, Shirley Holloman, you probably know the Holloman family, went into the hospital uh, to get a bunion cut off. Now that's not really scary surgery. And there's, there's nothing ugly to see other than a bandage on her foot. But I went to visit her in the hospital all by myself, my very first hospital call by myself. And hospitals freak me. I, I do not like the smell, the look. I do not want to look at a tray of instruments. Uh, hospitals bother me. So I'm in her hospital room. I actually carried a Bible with me for some reason. And as I was talking to her about the surgery and the success of the surgery when she was going home, she looked at me with that Bible and she said, would you like to read to me a passage of scripture? And so I read a passage of scripture and she said, would you like to pray with me? I said, sure, I'll pray for you. She was just my friend and 
lady in our assembly and her husband was a faculty member where I was studying and I enjoyed their family. I was great friends with her sons. I was there just to hope to encourage her, but what she was doing is leading me through how to conduct a hospital visit in the kindest, most gentle way. She was helping me grow in a skill that is oblivious to me. Mercy and kindness and compassion, those things just don't come well for me. Even hospital visits just don't come well for me. But she was helping me through it. And she was ministering to the body of Christ, causing the building up of the body of Christ in love and enabling me to be better at what I have to do because I have people in hospitals I need to go see. I'm getting better at it. It's an amazingly interesting concept that if we don't exercise our gifts, and let's make this more personal, if I don't exercise my gift or you don't exercise your gift, there's a part of the body that is atrophying. There's a part of the body connected by ligaments and joints and the like that is not being stimulated. And it's not growing. And so if we look around and we complain to each other and say, why isn't our body growing? Or why isn't our body more healthy? Or, or why aren't we more mature? Why are people so worldly? Or we complain about all these things. We could say, to what extent am I exercising my gift to help you exercise your gift and singing together in harmony with different gifts ministering at the same time, we're actually succeeding in building up of the body, causing the growth of the body in love. Remember when he began by saying we, we need to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? We need to know the love of God and share the love of God. It's the love among members that's the prerequisite for this growth. It's the whole sphere in which we work for the building up of the body in love. If you think of uh, good homes and bad homes and homes where people have grown up uh, in, in a loving home, you'd say uh, they got a very good start in life because their home life was good. Those who had a terrible home life, maybe abusive parents or a divorce in the family or something that made the home life difficult, they will look back at their childhood and speak of the damage that was done to them during that time period and they had difficulty growing up in a well-rounded way. Just like a child grows better in the atmosphere of love, our church will grow better in the atmosphere of love. And the beauty of this is if each one of us does his part, we will cause the growth of the body in love. Will you pray with me? Father, how much we want to be like your son, Jesus Christ, both individually and corporately, and how much we want to be used by you in causing this growth. Father, so many of us make so many compromises just like perhaps we may have made New Year's resolutions to become more healthy physically, do we have such desires 
to become more healthy spiritually and to find the love that you have placed in our hearts to minister to each other, to help each other, to cause the growth of the body. Father, I pray that you would help us as a local representation of believers uh, to let the love that you have placed in our hearts minister to others around us. And empowered by your spirit, may we encourage each other and build each other up. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.